This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how inadequate data may be impacting your used vehicle department at reyrey.com slash used cars. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y.com slash used dash cars. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, half of Buick's dealerships take buyouts rather than sell EVs. Four more brands adopt Tesla's charging standard, and Kia is allegedly withholding Canadian deliveries after meeting its 2023 sales target. Plus, a look at General Motors' year in 2023 through challenging EV rollouts and historic labor strikes. You know, they reinstated the guidance that they had suspended during the strike, but, you know, still are expecting to be pretty profitable this year. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Nearly half of Buick's U.S. dealerships left the brand this year. That's after the GM unit offered buyouts for those who didn't want to invest in selling electric vehicles. Buick now says it will end the year with about 1,000 dealerships nationwide. That's 47% fewer than at the start of 2023. Buick offered to buy out retailers who did not want to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars on tooling, equipment, and training to prepare to sell and service EVs as the brand goes all-electric by the end of the decade. According to Duncan Aldred, GM's vice president over Buick and GMC, the dealerships that left Buick this year previously represented about 20% of Buick's U.S. sales. He tells us at Automotive News that dealer throughput has increased by an average of 300% this year. Buick says about 89% of the nation's population is still within 25 miles of a Buick dealership. Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, and Scout are the latest automakers to adopt Tesla's North American charging standard. Volkswagen Group of America says that starting in 2025, Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche electric vehicles will be equipped with the port, allowing access to Tesla's supercharger network. The three German brands have waves of EVs set to arrive in 2024 and 2025. Scout Motors, a brand that Volkswagen Group is reviving to make rugged EVs, also plan to use the standard. Production of Scout's upcoming SUV and pickup is slated to begin around late 2026 with sales to begin soon after. The four brands join a growing list of automakers such as Ford, General Motors, Nissan, Hyundai, and Toyota that have announced such plans in 2023. In other Volkswagen Group news today, the automaker and its powerful labor leaders have agreed to cost-cutting measures projected to save 10 billion euros or about $11 billion with the aim of boosting low returns at the company's namesake brand. The measures include speeding up development and production times, reducing staff costs, and implementing a more efficient procurement strategy. For the third year in a row, Ford had the most recalls of any U.S. automaker. That's according to partial data from NHTSA. 
Through December 18th, Ford issued 54 recalls, affecting nearly 5.7 million vehicles in the U.S. this year. The automaker has been chipping away at nagging quality problems, and it announced 21% fewer recalls than it did in 2022, when the automaker reported safety fixes for more than 8.7 million vehicles. While Ford had the most recalls, Tesla had the biggest one, an over-the-air software recall this month related to the auto steer function of its autopilot suite. It covered more than 2 million vehicles, nearly every model sold, from October 2012 to December 2023. That's this month. And Kia Canada is deliberately delaying deliveries of vehicles to customers to distort sales numbers. That's according to a CBC News report. The new cars are being withheld from Kia's Ontario dealerships and reportedly from many more across the country as part of a plan to game the number of sales in the last six weeks of the year. CBC's investigative arm obtained a video in which Kia's central region manager, Vince Capicato, explained the scheme to more than 100 dealership representatives in Ontario during a November 17th video call. Kia Canada wants to control wholesale and retail performance in 2023 to not show high overachievement. Instead of shipping all the vehicles to dealerships, Capicato told the dealers only some will be released. He said the rest will remain on compounds until the new year. It's not clear whether all undelivered vehicles are sold. Capicato suggested that dealers tell customers the setbacks were because of delivery and logistic delays. He said the reason is to avoid appearing too successful in the eyes of headquarters in Korea. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Kia is delaying deliveries of vehicles to customers to distort sales numbers. Why does this seem somewhat illegal? It, it probably feels that way because it's so patently dishonest. Uh, the plans to not deliver them and you know blame it on logistics or other problems as if they were outside problems, not self-inflicted. It may or may not be illegal. It's not clear how many of the vehicles have already been sold to consumers, uh, but it certainly is doing damage to the relationship between the manufacturer in Korea and the dealers across Canada. Interesting stuff. Coming up, we'll continue our year-end conversations with a look at GM's performance in 2023. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. 
lack of inventory, increased auction fees, and a volatile market means stocking your lot can be challenging these days. To be successful, you have to move fast. You need to make decisions quickly at auction. You need to inspect trade-ins and decide on an offer that will benefit you without slowing down the sales process. You need to appraise and price vehicles with the most up-to-date information possible in a market that can change quickly. But the data you rely on to make these decisions could be holding you back. How often do you find yourself manually filtering through comps because there are outliers that don't match the vehicle you're appraising? When unexpected mechanical issues come up, how much time do you have to spend looking back through comps to reprice the vehicle and determine if the reconditioning costs are worth it? How long do you spend searching through individual auction and third-party websites for the inventory you need? These problems affect the entire used vehicle process from acquisition to appraisal to merchandising. Visit rayray.com used cars to explore how old and irrelevant vehicle information may be holding you back and discover how to make improvements for faster, more accurate, and more profitable decisions. That's rey.com slash used dash cars. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. General Motors has faced some enormous challenges in 2023. The automakers in the midst of one of the most audacious electric vehicle rollouts in the industry, which hasn't gone as smoothly as CEO Mary Barra would like. Meanwhile, like all Detroit 3 automakers, GM faced work stoppages related to its contract talks with the UAW and with Unifor. Lindsay Van Holy covers GM for us at Automotive News. She joins me to talk about the company's year in 2023 and what's next for the automaker in the new year. Lindsay Van Holy, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me. So this is part of our year-end series of discussions looking back on the, really the big news of 2023, of course, on the GM beat. It really starts with the UAW, doesn't it? It really does. This was a historic contract situation, Sean Fain's election, the strike. How did it all play out within GM? It seemed like, you know, of course, the tensions were really high. Some of the rhetoric was hotter than in the past years. Well, I think the thing that can't be overlooked is just how different the tactic was this year. Mm -hmm. You know, the UAW had said from the beginning, we're going to try this stand-up strike. It's going to be a different approach than we've ever done, calling on individual plants really to keep the automakers guessing. And I think it's fair to say that that succeeded in that goal. You know, it was difficult to predict which plants were going to go and when. And so we saw a few assembly plants go first, followed by some parts distribution centers the week after that, you know, and additional plants, you know, at, at a different cadence throughout the, you know, six weeks or so. It was interesting because there was sort of this, um, you know, keeping the automakers on their toes, spurring anxiety among executives about what was going to happen next. And yet the effect, one of the effects was to not be as damaging of a strike as a traditional strike that goes against the entire company uh, writ large. Of course, in 2019, GM was struck for about the same length of time, but it was the whole company. And uh, that was a lot more costly for General Motors than this strike was. Yeah, and I think that that's the idea, the idea being not wanting to take everything out all at once, but to keep that that escalating. For the union, it was, I always have another card to play. And mm -hmm. so I can, you know, depending on how things go, it's one more one more card I can play and, and more leverage that I can use to try to, to help on, on the negotiations. And for the automaker, it meant 
many plants kept running, you know, all of their shifts, they kept turning out vehicles and they were still able to have certain models that were, that were, you know, still in supply. There were some that were a little bit more constrained than others, but they were still able to keep most of their plants running. Well, as we get to the end of the year and uh, in January, when we're tallying up the full year results, it's going to mean better profit sharing for the UAW members than if they had had a devastating, you know, $3 billion sort of uh, hit kind of strike on GM. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Something probably was on their minds, but really a fine line to walk between wanting to flex and and show their power and maybe wanting to not do as much damage, economic damage as they could. Yeah. Very curious. Yeah. I mean, GM did say, you know, at the end of it, it was about a billion dollar impact, you know, but they did come back, you know, a few weeks later and and basically announced the, a $10 billion share buyback program. You know, they reinstated the guidance that they had suspended during the strike, but, you know, still are expecting to, to be pretty profitable this year. Mm-hmm. So what is the upshot? What is the takeaway from this contract, right? It's going to saddle them with higher costs. Is it something that GM can overcome? They're committing to basically to the market, to the public that they can. You know, they're expressing, I think, the, the buyback uh, being a sign that they've got confidence in in their ability to do that. You know, they're looking at at the ability to be able to to offset that. You know, they've talked about the ability to, to fully offset that in 2024. You know, I think overall between the UAW and the Unifor in Canada, it's about, I think, $9.3 billion in additional costs over the mm. lifetime. So about $575 per vehicle. For them, they're going to have to look at things like efficiency, trying to just run leaner, trying to find more, uh, you know, reduce combinations and, and just try to operate as more efficiently as possible. Yeah, I would think investors would be encouraged Mary Barra's confidence in their ability to absorb the cost, to find other efficiencies. But that $10 billion buyback, I feel like that's going to come back to haunt them in 2028. Maybe Mary Barra will retire by then, but if she's still in place, you know, I guess it was more Ford than GM in a sense that was saying, you know, we can't go any further, but all the companies felt like they were really pushed. But then to come back and say, well, we can afford $10 billion for the shareholders, I don't think that's going to sit very well with the UAW going forward. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a key thing to watch in the next round, you know, as well as the additional, whatever additional uh, membership that the UAW is able to gain at plants that are currently non-union. You know, Mm -hmm. that's sort of where the union is now turning its attention to, you know, to try and bring you know, non-unionized plants in the U.S. So the, the idea being that if we have a larger membership base, we can then, you know, have, have more leverage at the table. So it's going to be a lot to, to watch for in the next cycle. Any other last thoughts on the UAW before we turn to some other matters? You know, I think that one of the big things in the contract that I'll be interested to see is just sort of how some of the, the different provisions played out. And namely, you know, bringing the, the battery plants and the joint mm-hmm. venture battery plants under the, under the master agreement. You know, there's a lot, I think, that's still to be determined how that's going to look. Um, GM has one joint venture battery plant in Ohio that's up and running right now. It has, you know, three others it's announced, you know, two that are in in various stages of construction and and doing, you know, hiring and those kinds of things. So as those plants come online, how that all looks at the end of the day is going to be, I think, interesting to follow and cover. Absolutely. So on some product front, of course, you mentioned the battery plant that's up and running. I mean, it's Seems like it's not fully in stride the way it wants to be. Neither has Spring Hill, where they make the Cadillac Lyric. GM has had some puts and takes on the EV product front, where we've kind of had some of the things that we thought would be here this year uh, not make it yet. Yeah, I think some of it is 
you know, just broader industry and market scenarios that we've talked about, you know, before, just a lot of that demand, I think, advancing slower than the automakers had expected. Mm-hmm. You you saw some of that when GM announced that they were going to delay the opening and the retooling of a second plant to build full-size electric pickups. Mm-hmm. They just, they, they've got enough capacity in one right now to be able to do that. But they've also had just, you know, their own production hiccups. You know, mm-hmm. one of the, the biggest things has been just production of kind of an automated module assembly process. They've had to kind of take that and, and really do that manually, which has been slower and it's kind of held back some of that. And I think that's been frustrating to the leadership. And they've talked about, you know, Mary Barra has talked about, you know, frankly, we, we didn't execute well on EVs this year. And so they are looking at trying to get that behind them, both in the actual constraint, but then also adding more capacity at other plants to try and avoid this in the future. But they've also, you know, basically stopped providing sort of the incremental production targets that they had been talking about and are still looking at, you know, having the ability to build a million EVs in 2025 in North America, but they're not going to give those sort of volume steps along the way. It sounds like they're not convinced there's going to be enough demand to make a million EVs in the U.S. or in North America. Yeah, I mean, one of the things they've said is we want to build to what demand is. You know, mm-hmm. I think uh, it was Paul Jacobson, the CFO, who had said, I don't want to, you know, build a bunch of EVs and kind of stuff them into the market and then have to to discount just to move them. So mm-hmm. I think they're being cognizant of what the demand is and trying to build there and, and not overbuild to the point then that, you know, incentives have to go up. You know, I mean, I'm sympathetic with how hard it must be to project uh, what demand is going to be at demanded given price points. And then you have, you know, the leading player uh, in the market, in the EV segment, Tesla, you know, slashing their prices all through the year, uh, really putting a lot of pressure on these incumbents that are trying to come to market. Maybe, you know, trying to follow Tesla's example of starting at the high end and working their way down and like the earth is just falling out from under them. Yeah, you know, they one of the things that they've been pretty consistent about is, you know, is their pricing. And I think what they'll tell you is they, you know, feel pretty confident, pretty consistent that pricing has held. You know, they have talked about wanting to kind of start with, you know, these brand new EVs, these brand new models, high technology, high content to kind of show what these vehicles could do and could be. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, begin to build out the, the lineup with some of the, the lower contented trims, go, you know, going forward. Well, and that's been one of the real challenges in the market. Less growth this year than we've seen in some of the, the previous years, especially throughout the course of the year relative to the market. And part of that's been a lack of new vehicles, especially new, more affordable vehicles. And we were hoping to see a, an affordable electric Equinox this year that has been pushed back. Is that still coming in 2024? Is that maybe going to be one of the few positive levers to drive EV sales? It is. It is going to be in 2024. It is delayed a bit. It's going to start at a, a little bit of a higher price point. Uh, the, the initial model that's coming is going to is going to have a little bit more content and features. It'll start around fifty thousand, mm-hmm. but you know GM has said that you know there is going to be a, a lower priced kind of base Equinox EV that will also come in twenty twenty four. It won't start around thirty thousand, which is the price that they had kind of given initially. It's going to be mm-hmm. closer to thirty five. Mm-hmm. But Chevy has said you know they're they're pretty happy with kind of where they are in the ballpark of what they had said initially. I mean that would be a much more compelling value proposition than a lot of what's on the market. And and not to be forgotten is, you know, the, the Bolt uh, is going to be coming back as well. That's, I mean, that is the 
the affordable EV in the portfolio right now, and it's going away at the end of this year. There will be kind of a bolt-sized hole for a year or so, but um, you know, Mary Barr had talked just just this month that you know the bolt is going to come back in 2025, and they'd already talked about wanting to bring it back onto the new Altium platform. Mm-hmm. It's, right now, it's built on their older battery architecture, and they can do it at a faster timeline. You know, lower cost, lower cost kind of battery pack. So, I think when that comes back, that's going to be, I think, a big, um, a big game changer as well. Affordable Chevys are, of course, super important for General Motors, uh, but so is the Cadillac. And we've got the uh, the other end of the spectrum, right? The Escalade IQ, IQ, of course, being uh, Cadillac's designation for their their EVs. Tell me about this this truck, and when when are we going to see this SUV in in real life? Well, I, I first saw it in August uh, when it was revealed, and it's uh, you know it's certainly going to be I think the probably the most expensive Cadillac that is built. It's Other than the Celestic, this is true. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> uh, the most expensive Escalade I've there been you built, go. I should say. <laughs> uh, it'll start around one hundred and thirty thousand uh, dollars with shipping. Um, it'll be built uh, in the first half of twenty four, and then it'll begin to to arrive next year. But it's I mean it takes the way that they've sort of described it is you know we, we have this this flagship that has been in the market for quarter of a century. Mm -hmm. And our nameplate going forward is all going to be electric. And so you take this equity that's been really built up in pop culture, in just really in just the culture in general, and and trying to to make that electric and and going forward. So there's a lot of technology, a lot of features. It's going to be, I think, interesting to see where it goes. And even Cadillac says, you know, right right now, it's kind of hard to know where the market's going to fall, those who are going to want the ICE version, those who are going to want the EV version. But, you know, as that gets closer, I think it'll be interesting to see where, you know, just how the uh, the customer breakdown happens. And then one other piece of product news I want to ask you about, you know, we keep seeing this happen in the market, right? More EVs, more crossovers and SUVs, and fewer cars. And GM saying goodbye to another car line with the uh, the Chevy Camaro. That's just not a segment that that really seems to have enough legs going forward. You know, it's interesting because they were, they were, I think, careful in how they described it. The current generation, the sixth generation Camaro is going away at the end of, of this model year. But they've, in announcing that, they said, you know, this isn't the end of, of Camaro's story. There's some room, I think, left open, a little bit of, of room for what that might look like. You know, I think, could we speculate that it might come back electric? You know, it's, it's possible. Seems like that's what they're hinting at. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, what are you looking forward to? What What are you anticipating as the big story or two out of uh, 2024 for General Motors? Well, you know, labor talks are done, so that's not going to be something that we'll be following. But I think, you know, like I mentioned with the battery plants, more of those coming online, beginning to see um, how the provisions in, in that contract begin to play out. That's going to be something that'll be interesting to follow. I think the EV transition is going to be something that will be a story for General Motors for a long time. They, they've really committed to this transition. They have a couple brands that are planning to be all EV by the end of the decade. And so as more of those nameplates are, are announced, just can, can GM get past some of the constraints it's had? Can it begin to, to ramp up and scale? I think the way that it has wanted to. And, and really have more of these out there. I think, you know, what they want is to have more of these on dealers' lots. And so mm-hmm. more people can then drive them and they'll be on the roads and, you know, people will begin to see them and, and want to try them out. And so I think that's going to be a really big, important story to follow, just, not just next year, but, but into the future. The one I'll be watching, you know, GM has uh, regained its, its rightful place, if you will, uh, as number one in the U.S. market. Uh, Toyota's really been hamstrung in recent years with uh, chip supply and production. 
it'll be interesting. Toyota seems to be getting pretty much back to full speed. I wonder if they can make enough and send enough vehicles to the U.S. to challenge General Motors for number one next year. I presume GM is not planning to let that happen. I, I can't imagine that they are. All right. Lindsay Van Holy, thanks so much for joining me today for this year in review. Talk about General Motors. Thanks so much for having me. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Jack Walsworth and Audrey LaForest for their reporting for today's podcast. We also have reporting from Grace Macaluso from our sibling publication, Automotive News Canada. You can get the latest news on manufacturing, retail, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a look at the year Stellantis had in 2023 and CEO Carlos Tavares' goal to roll out affordable EVs for the masses. I know that Carlos has been really big on uh, the middle class and making sure you stay affordable uh, for them, but that 25K target he was talking about is, uh, I think, it's a long ways off. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.